to have you guys here. Uh, yeah, very, very thankful for you guys being here, and uh, it's good to see a whole bunch of other people. It's good to see everybody, but it's also good to see them too. All right, well, let's go ahead. Let's pray, uh, and uh, then we'll spend some time in the Word. Dear Father, we just are so very thankful for answers to prayer. Uh, so many people in this room have had procedures done and have gone through some difficult uh, medical times and stressful times. And you were the one that has brought about healing in their life. And you were the one that's brought about knowledge for doctors to deal with some of this. And so we're just very thankful for your uh, caring hand over uh, the people in this room. We're so very thankful for uh, the time that we get to spend with each other. We are also very thankful for the time that we've had with our brother Mark. And we just pray for Rindy and the rest of the kids and uh, as they are dealing with the grief and the loss of Mark. And uh, we're so very thankful for the time that we've had. We're very thankful that he's in your presence, but we also just pray for the family, for comfort and, uh, and peace that only you can bring. We also ask, Father, that as we spend time this morning in this text your spirit would be working in our hearts, moving in our hearts, causing us to see our sin, causing us to uh, see how we can be more like Christ. And we ask that your spirit would be working in our hearts. Give us the will and the ability to do all that your word says. Uh, we're so very thankful for Jesus and having him come and die on the cross for our sins. And it's based upon his work and his person that we say, Amen. So I don't know how many of you read a lot of leadership articles or magazines or blogs or listen to podcasts. I do because I feel like I always can improve as a leader, and sometimes they, they offer some great advice. Sometimes they offer advice that I go, yeah, that might work for a Fortune 500 company. That's not really relevant for us here you know, our bottom line is not how much money comes in. In fact, I, I, I'm very thankful for everyone that gives, but our main focus is that people continue to live for Jesus. And so uh, th- that's, that's my primary concern. So there's certain things that they would be concerned about that they would say, as a leader of, of men and of business, you need to be concerned of this. And I would go, yeah, that's not what God wants for his church. We're a little bit different. But essentially, a lot of them will come down to say, well, a leader is one who builds good relationships, inspires uh, people to follow, and uh, develops people, and leads into change, and is uh, one, one who, who can think critically in, in difficult times, and one who is, uh, creates uh, accountability, one who's able to communicate clearly. And there, there's a lot of truth in that, and that's a leader has to have some of those things, and a leader will have some of those things. But as we're looking in Proverbs chapter 20, and we're looking at a wise leader, there are certain things that Solomon emphasized that are not on that list that you and I would look at and go, those things are far more important than maybe some of these other things. And one of the things that Solomon is going to talk about in this text is a leader is one who's able to plan a leader is able to look at what's going on right now. A leader is able to look in the past, but he also is one who 
is leading people somewhere. He has a goal in mind, and he says that's the end goal, right? So there is a little bit of strategy. And so this morning, we're going to talk about planning. That's what a leader does. Now, in the series, I've said we're all leaders at some time, right? It, It might look different in different places, but we're all leaders. Sometime, we're going to be called to be leaders, There's different settings where we're leaders amongst friends. We're leaders in a family. We're leaders in this situation and that situation. So in a sense, we're all leaders. In in, in another sense, we're also all followers of our leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, the best leader is the best follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's always going to be the best leader. And as we said before, the best leader is the one who's going to take people and point them to Jesus and say, I'm walking towards Jesus, follow me as I go there. That, that's where we're going, that's where we're heading, Christ-likeness. And, and this, is, this is what I'm laboring to do, follow me as I'm going towards Jesus. So a lot of this, what we're going to be talking about this morning, about planning and devised plans and all of this, is going to come down to that. We all are single laser focused on our job as believers, and our job as believers is to honor and glorify God and enjoy him thoroughly and that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's it. Everyone we meet, that's what we want. We want everyone to glorify God. Everyone we meet, we want them to enjoy God. We want them to be like Christ. That's where we're leading them towards, in the different capacities. But Solomon's going to bring out three points. So in Proverbs 20, verses 18 through 24... We're going to see a wise leader devises plans, and we're going to see three plans that they'll devise. First, in verse 18 through 19, we're going to see that they seek advice. They seek good, sound, wise advice. It's the first thing that a wise leader does when he plans, seeks out good advice. Another thing that he's going to do, a wise leader, a wise leader is going to respect elders, going to honor their parents. They're going to honor those who walked before them. They're not going to be quick to, uh, to dismiss people that have lived before them and have walked with the Lord before them. And then lastly, what we're going to see is that wise leaders, they trust the Lord. They trust the Lord. They trust the Lord in all areas of life. And so a best leader is the one whose firm hope and foundation and trust is in Jesus Christ and in the Lord and, and, and in what he's doing. So let's, let's look at this. Let's look at first at this first point, that a wise leader devises plans by seeking advice. And go with me to Proverbs 20, verse 18. And notice, notice what is said here. It says, plans are established by counsel, but wise guidance wage war, or by wise guidance wage war. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. So notice here it says plans are established. The word for plan means to uh, something that's devised, a purpose, a strategy. It, it speaks of a certain intent. Has the idea that, the, that a person is, is, has an intent to do something. And remember in this text from verse 8 really all the way down to chapter 21 verse 1, all of this is talking about a king and a monarch, and it gives a picture of a wise monarch. And so we're taking the principle of saying, well, we're not going to be kings or queens or princes or princesses, but we are all leaders, right? 
So think about this then in, in the actual context where Solomon is most likely talking about in, in the sense of government and with kings. And so he's saying a king who plans, who has intentions, notice, notice that these plans are established. They are firmly put into place. They are, they are something that is, that is built, something that has a firm foundation that will last. Notice that these are established by counsel. They're established by advice. Question is, by whose advice? Not all advice is equal. Not all advice is equally as valuable, right? So as believers, where's the first place we go for advice? It would be none other than the Lord himself, right, in the word, right? I mean, that, that's first place for advice. This, this is given the greatest weight. So what do I do in this situation? Well, what does God say? What does the Bible say, right? What is the Bible? What are some of the principles that are given to me in Scripture that help me navigate this situation? And, and where am I going and, and what am I doing? And as I'm giving advice to people, it's the Bible and the principles that are found in the Bible that are, are governing and they're, they're laying down guardrails for us and so as we're going in life and we're planning life, that, that's what's cutting the trail. Okay? So obviously it's, it's God's advice. Now, God has also given us people in our life who spent a lot of time in the word, spent a lot of time walking with Jesus. God has given them the spirit, and they're walking by the spirit. And so obviously advice should be from godly people. We should ask advice from godly people. Why would we avoid godly people? And I'll be honest, we'll talk a little bit more about this here in a second, but I often find that there's a lot of godly advice, even from believers who have lived in the past. A lot of times, some of the issues that we're dealing with now, a lot of the issues we're dealing with now, Christians in the past have already dealt with. And they've already written about, they've already argued about some of those things. And sometimes we can go back to believers who have lived way back in the past, and they they bring up points, and they give advice, and we see how they kind of handle things. That's helpful. There's believers now that are biblical that they write books and you have we have biblical believers here who we can go and ask advice about numerous things and they'll give us scriptural advice and then the last piece of advice and i know that this may not sound so spiritual but if we consider ourselves as stewards of what god has given us this does play a part there are some times where we have to ask advice and it's not necessarily a spiritual matter but we should ask people who are experts. So let me, just, let me just say for an instance. So let's say that my car's broken down. I don't necessarily call up Greg immediately and say, hey, my car's broken down, what do I do? Uh, though he might have answers. Normally what I do is I go to somebody who that's what their job is, right? Regardless of whether they're a Christian or not, I, I go to somebody that I consider an expert and ask for their advice. You might say, well, that's not necessarily spiritual in nature. True, a, a car is amoral. There's really nothing moral about it. But if I'm a good steward with my money and my time, I'm going to ask the people who know, right? I'm not going to ask a whole bunch of people who don't know and get advice from people who don't know and then buy something and then I go, oh, I wish I would have never bought that and then I had to spend more money to buy the thing that I should have bought in the first place. So sometimes asking for advice is asking for experts. But Ultimately, the way that I act and the way that I go about purchasing and the way that I live my life, ultimately, God's advice carries a lot of weight. 
advice from mature believers, that carries a lots of weight. Those are places that we need to go. And so a wise leader is able to weigh out all of that advice, right? And then Solomon gives an example. Notice the example he gives in verse 18. He says, by wise guidance, uh, the word here for guidance would be the same as like a, a steering wheel, right? Uh, uh, it's used of a, sh- of a ship, the, the, the thing that guides a ship, right? So by wise steering, people wage war. And so the idea is, here's an example of where you need advice. If you're thinking of a king, a king may have to wage war. Well, what does he need? He needs really good advice. He needs lots of really good advice about a lot of things. And that is how he then operates. Not saying that you and I are in a war. I think this is just an example for us to go, yeah, things need to be planned. Yeah, and we need advice. Now, a wise king will he'll either get good advice from God's word, from spiritually mature people, and from experts who are in the know, or you can pick a fool, and you can get your advice from a fool. Notice the next verse, right? Notice in verse 19. It says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. So here you get, who should I not go to? A person who slanders. Well, what does that mean? A slander here could either be somebody who gossips or somebody who just talks too much. This would be somebody who purposely fabricates information to hurt someone's character or goes around saying things on purpose to hurt your view of someone else. That's what a slander is. As believers, this shouldn't even be a thing. This shouldn't even be a thing inside of the church, right? None of us should be considered slanderers or gossips. There should never be a time in which we go about saying something about someone's character in order to hurt them so that other people have a bad view of them. That just shouldn't happen. But, but notice, what, notice what Solomon says, because we've we got to think that this is in, in the realm of leadership. So a slanderer, what does a slanderer do? A slanderer goes around and reveals secrets. So the idea is a slanderer not only is one who's trying to hurt someone's character, but it's someone who received something in confidence and then went out and used that information that was given in confidence to hurt the leader. That's the idea. He reveals secrets. So on the one hand, a wise leader is associating himself with wise people, going to God's word, receiving sound counsel. The fool will go around people who are going to use that information to hurt them, to expose things, to say things. Right? That's what a slanderer does. A wise leader knows the difference. And he knows uh, the wise leader, he or she, goes, okay, I'm going to listen to this one. I'm not going to listen to this one, right? That, 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 there's discernment there of who do I listen to, who do I get my advice from. By the way, it is far more interesting to get your advice from a slanderer. And it's far more juicy and far more fun. But it is the worst thing you can do, right? We all love a good bit of gossip. If we didn't, it wouldn't exist, We all like to gossip. We all like to slander, right? We all love it. So the reason that this is such an important piece of advice is because we're naturally drawn to slander and gossip. 
And we are more inclined to listen to gossip and get advice from people who are gossiping and from people who are slandering because our flesh craves that. Our flesh isn't necessarily craving, I want truth and honesty and those things which will lead me to be more like Jesus. Our flesh is saying, give me that thing that's juicy, that'll hurt somebody, that I can use against somebody for my own advantage. We love that. Our flesh craves that. So it's only when we are walking by the power of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit's working on us, making us more like Jesus, then our desire is to have the right kind of advice from the right people. If we're not walking with the Spirit, then we're going to go to these people. We're going to get advice from these people, okay? Now, you might say, I don't, but I guarantee you, we all do. I got to be honest. I love myself a good bit of Facebook gossip. There's something fun about that. There's something fun about getting some gossip from Facebook, and then, and, then, and then there's something fun about those prayer requests, which are really gossip and slander, but we couch it in a prayer request. The, pray, the, the goal is not really to pray for the person, but let's just talk about information. We all love that. So notice what Solomon says, though. Here's what a wise leader guards against. This is what we should, as believers, guard against. He says, therefore, do not associate do not mix, do not become friends with, do not put your arm around and say, let's, let's, let's plan together. Do not associate with a simple babbler. The word here for babbler is somebody who just has an open mouth. The sense is, is that somebody just talks and talks and talks and talks. They might not even, they might not even be malicious when they talk, right? This might be somebody who, who they might not even care What's said, they just say things. Greg and I, we were talking about a particular article that was written, and uh, one of the things that's really interesting is the role that social media is having in the world today and how many of us are so influenced by social media, even if we don't think we're influenced by it. So many people are, and so many people are given terrible, terrible, ungodly advice through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, through TikTok. And if you don't know what half of those are, that's okay. Just know that bad advice is coming through there. We as believers need to always be going back. What does the Bible say? What does God want? What's pleasing to God? What will honor and glorify God? That's what a wise leader does, and that's the type of advice that a wise leader takes. Now, There's another thing that a wise leader will do. They will respect elders. Now notice the next verse. Verse 20. It says, If one curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Now, this is a statement, an observation of what people do. And it's it's, it's something that is grounded in the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. Solomon is saying, look, if, if you do not honor your father and mother, when, when, when the Ten Commandments says to honor and it will go well with you, God's word says if you, if, you don't, if you don't do this, then the opposite will happen. So if you honor your father and mother and it will go well with you, then if you do the opposite by cursing them, it will not go well with you. By the way, it doesn't say honor your father and mother 
if your father and mother are honorable. Right? It says, honor your father and mother. That's talk well of them, treat them with respect. You say, well, what if they're not worthy of respect? It doesn't matter. God has placed them in your life. And he has placed them in your life. And you are to talk well of them. That's the way it goes. Now, this isn't winking at their sin. This isn't saying that they're not sinners. This isn't, this isn't whitewashing your parents' past and saying, my parents were perfect and everything they did was as driven as the white snow. But this is saying that I'm not going to speak bad about my parents. I'm not going to slander them, right? That's what a fool does. And, and this is exactly what a fool is doing. He's cursing his father and mother, the New Testament talks about this as well, right? We're given the admonition of children, honor your father and mother. And, and Paul points out that this is the first commandment with a promise, right? So we need to do this. One other thing that I think is really interesting is it says if one, it doesn't say if a child curses his father and mother, right? It says if one, meaning you don't necessarily have to be under the age of 15 to violate this proverb. It's possible to violate this proverb even as an adult. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful of the things that we say. We've got to be careful how we treat our father and mother. And notice, notice the principle. Notice the consequence, right? He says his lamp, which is a euphemism for his life, right? His lamp, his life, will be put out in utter darkness, meaning... His life will be extinguished. If to honor your father and mother, as the Ten Commandments teach, you will go well with you when you're in the land, then the opposite is true, right? If you curse your father and mother, then it will not go well. And the image of snuffing out a fire is a significant image, right? This isn't a slow dwindling. This is a complete snuffing. It's out. Right? Now, as I was thinking about this, of course it's true that we should treat our parents with respect. Uh, obviously. That, that, is, that is obviously true, and that's something that we, we should constantly be doing, is treating our parents with respect, and even, even if they're gone, treating them with respect. But I also thought, you know, there's lots of people who have invested in my life, and they have become like a father and mother to me, spiritual fathers and mothers, treat them with respect. There's people that have walked the faith, walked this earth, lived for Jesus before I even stepped on the earth, before I was even a thought. They lived and died before I was even thought of. Should respect them too, right? I mean, I don't think God is happy if we start slandering people who are dead, which is really easy to do. So I think a wise leader is one who, is respe- who's a res- who respects and honors those things that God has placed in our life and those leaders that he's placed in our life. So a good leader is one who honors leaders. And, and here in this sense is parental leaders, those who are elders, those who are older than us and teach us and instruct us, right? There's a sense of I need to respect them and I need to speak well of them. A wise leader will not violate this. A foolish leader will. 
Now, you might say, well, how does this kind of play out, Caleb? Because think about this. He's talking about kings, right? And one thing that we, can, that we know about kings, and if we read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Chronicles, we know that there have been a couple sons and a couple daughters who didn't treat mom and dad the best. And in fact, they, they staged coups against mom and dad. They not only spoke a curse, they also brought an army to kill mom and dad so that they can get something from mom and dad. And, and, and that's probably what's in mind here, what Solomon has, because notice in verse 21, it says, an inheritance gained hastily. So I, I see a connection here of the cursing, right? So if one curses his father and mother, his lamp will go out in utter darkness. An inheritance gained by hastily, in the sense of this cursing of, of wanting to bring about the demise and slander of, of your parents, it may be to, be get, to get this inheritance before its time, right? So, the, so there's a financial incentive here to curse your parents. There's a, a financial incentive by the, by the, by the young king to, to get mom and dad out of the way so that I can get my inheritance now. One also, in thinking about this, uh, the first thing that I thought of when I read this was the prodigal son. Remember that, remember that parable that the Lord gives about the, the young son who goes to his dad and says, Hey, dad, I know you're not dead, and I know that there's going to be some stuff you're going to give me when you're dead. Could you give me that now? Incredibly disrespectful, incredibly rude, right? Give me all that I want now. I, I don't want to spend time with you. I just want your stuff right? That's incredibly disrespectful. And that, that's kind of what you get. Someone who's getting their, getting their inheritance before it's time. So notice what he says. He says, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Why? Is it just some sort of magical thing that happens that if, if I'm going to curse my parents and then I get this, all of a sudden that money's just going to go away? Is it just that? Is it, is it like one of those cosmic things that just happen? No. The person's character and behavior and reckless behavior and slandering and conniving and sin will mean that they will not use the money in a way that pleases God. And guess what will happen to all of that money and inheritance gained? It will not be the blessing it was intended. It will actually turn out to their demise. Think of, the, think of the prodigal son. He took that inheritance from his father, and what did he do? He spent it on himself, because that's what he wanted. He wanted to spend it all on himself. There was no blessing. It was all curse. Ended up feeding pigs and wishing, man, I wish I could get a meal like these pigs. Which, by the way, if you ever watch pigs eat, not appetizing, right? Pigs, after they're slaughtered, incredibly appetizing. Pigs, while they're eating, before slaughtered, not appetizing at all. So anyone that looks at a pig before he's slaughtered and goes, that stuff looks good, you know they're hurting. That, that, that's a really destitute place. That's what's happening, right? So, so a wise leader is not trying to gain from his parents, not trying to steal what they have to, to spend on himself. He's going to respect them. He's going to treat them with honor as the Lord wants by the way, I will say this just as a little side. I find that those people who honor their earthly parents also tend to honor their heavenly father 
as well. It's interesting, right? You do one, the other one is also there. I also find that those who are not so honoring to their earthly parents are not always the most honoring to their heavenly father, right? There seems to be an attitude that's connected, right? There's that attitude of how I treat my parents is how I treat my heavenly parent as well. There's that connection. So a leader is going to treat those who deserve respect with respect. This is what Paul says in Romans. Honor those who deserve honor. Respect to those who deserve respect. And a wise leader is going to do that. Why? Because it's a smart way to do business? No, because that's what God commands. God commands this. God commands we honor and we respect those who walked before us, our parents, and even, even our spiritual parents. Now, we then get to this next part. Notice this next part where a wise leader will trust in the Lord. And notice what it says in, 20, in 22. It says, do not say, I will repay evil. Do, do not say, I'm going, to, I'm going to cause retribution on somebody. Do, do not say that somebody does something to me, and then I'm going to do something evil. So if we're borrowing cursing a parent, think of this. Don't say to the mother and father who raised you, I'm going to do something bad to you, right? That's the idea. Don't repay with evil. This repaying with evil may or may not be because they gave you evil. Although I will be honest, there are times where people have done bad things to me, bad things to my family, and the fleshly inclination is to what? To punch back, right? To retaliate. That's kind of here. But notice what Solomon says. He says, do not say, I will repay evil. You could almost add in, but wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Now, this is an interesting parallelism. Because you would almost expect to say, do not say, I will repay, but wait for the Lord to get, to get, to get, to get them. Right? Don't do retribution, but wait for the Lord to get retribution on them. Right? That's what you would almost expect. They got me, I'm God's child, so God, you go get them, and I'll wait for it, and it'll be awesome. That's not what he says. The object is not on the person who does something to you. The object is on you. Do not say, I'm going to get even, but, the, but it is to wait on the Lord, and what will he do? He will deliver you. He will save you. He will vindicate you. The issue is, I'm not going to... I'm not going to retaliate to, save, to stay face. I'm going to wait for the Lord to do this. Now, this waiting on the Lord, this is difficult. Really difficult to wait, isn't it? Very difficult to wait. Especially as us, as modern Americans. This morning, I had an issue of waiting. Uh, we were waiting for the PowerPoint to come on. And I was here with Rindy. We were here at, what, 1030 I don't think it came on so that we could actually do work until like 10.45. Had to wait. I said to Rindy, I said, my laptop comes on like this. I don't have to wait. And waiting that extra five, ten minutes seemed like two years. Like, come on. By the time this thing comes on, I'm going to be going to Sophia's graduation. Waiting. I don't like waiting. I don't. And I don't think we like waiting. 
But here Solomon says a wise leader waits. That's kind of interesting. He waits. Now this word for waiting doesn't mean just being inactive. Do not think that that's what waiting is. Waiting on the Lord is not inactivity. Waiting on the Lord is saying, okay, I expect the Lord to do something. And I'm going to let him do that in his time. But I'm going to be obedient right now. I'm going to continue to be obedient. I'm going to continue to follow the Lord. I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to read the Bible. I'm going to react in the way that the Lord wants me to react. And when it's, t- when it's time for the Lord to do what he's going to do, it's going to happen. I'm not going to force the issue. I'm just going to be obedient to, to the opportunities that are happening here. Right? I-, I remember back before I was married, waiting for the person I would marry. Right? Waiting on the Lord to deliver that person. That, that, didn't mean that, I, that, that didn't mean that I just sat back and did nothing. That meant that I was continued to be obedient as I'm waiting. And the Lord will bring along a person if he desires for me. But that's not the goal. The goal is the Lord will take care of that. I have to take care of what's happening right now. I have a responsibility to be obedient in this moment right now. That's what waiting is. Okay? So waiting on the Lord, and, and it's not that he's going he's to cause some great retribution... But wait on the Lord and he will deliver you. Sometimes there are people that will do things to us, will say things to us that will hurt us and will cause some damage, whether it be financial or otherwise. The job of the believer is not to retaliate. The job of the believer is to continue to walk walk with the Lord and the Lord will deal with that. He will. He will deal with that. On Sunday night, we, we talked about Jesus' statement about turning the other cheek. And uh, I, I asked the question, does this mean that the believer is a doormat? And the reason I asked that question is because that's what most people say. And as we pointed out on Sunday night, that is not even close to the question of what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about in that particular text is loving your enemy. And if your enemy hurts you, You do not retaliate, but you continue to love them. Now, that doesn't mean that all love looks the same, and and there's a lot of discernment on what that looks like. But, But essentially, the idea is, I do not have any ill will towards them. So they strike me on the cheek, that's an aggressive towards me, I say, I'm still going to love you. That's what he means by turning the other cheek. I'm going to continue to love you. I'm not going to retaliate. That is what Solomon's saying here. But wait for the Lord. Now notice, notice what he says next, because it's possible for us to do something evil against somebody because we're in a rush to get something done, we're in a rush to get money, and so it's possible for us to do verse 23, right? It says, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. You go, well, why why put that in there? Is Solomon just throwing random things together? No, because this is one of the things that we could do. I, I, I could just do evil to somebody by having unequal weights, right? By taking advantage of them financially. God doesn't like that. So, so waiting on the Lord is not taking matters into my own hands so that I get an advantage. It's doing what the Lord asks me to do in these different settings, right? And false scales are not good. So a wise leader does this. He waits on the Lord. He trusts on the Lord. Now, we then get to a very difficult verse, the next verse. In fact, it may be so difficult that we might even deal with it again next week as well. Because, I, because the time, 
we don't have to necessarily cover all of this in the way that we need to, even though we've covered this in the past. But notice what verse 24 says. Now remember, this is still in the idea of leadership, still in the idea of planning, still in the idea of trusting the Lord. But notice what he says. He says, man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his ways? Just think about that. Let that marinate for a moment. Now, we know that the Bible teaches that man has responsibility, right? We do. Wait on the Lord. That's a responsibility that we're supposed to do. The Bible also teaches that God is sovereign, absolutely. In our pea-sized brains, we try to reconcile that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us trying to reconcile that. But when you try to reconcile those two facts, there's a tension that is created because it's very difficult to reconcile those two facts. Piece of advice, they're both true. And there will be tension. And that's okay. I'm not God. I don't have everything figured out. You're not God. You don't have everything figured out. But there is one thing that this verse points out in the midst of this tension that might help us with some clarity in the midst of this tension. Notice that it says, a man's steps are from the Lord. Yes, man has responsibility. But ultimately, the sovereign plan of God trumps the responsibility of man. There are plenty of things that you and I plan to do, that we desire to do, and guess what? God's sovereign plan has changed our plans, and his plans trump ours. That's part of faith. There are some people who think that if I say magic words at magic times, I can get God on a good day, and he'll give me something. I can manipulate God by saying certain phrases, by calling certain things, and by saying certain things to God. That's not faith. That is, that is trying to manipulate God. That's not waiting on God. Faith says, God, I know that what's happening is happening because you are allowing this to happen. This is part of your plan. I had plans, and they are altered. That's okay. You obviously have something else for me. So I'm going to continue to look to your word, to your promises, and I'm going to step out believing you. I'm going to continue to be obedient to you, even though I had plans, and those plans were altered. Sometimes they're altered in a little way. Sometimes they're COVID-size alterings. But guess what? A wise leader realizes this is the reality. We have plans, and God has things that he's doing that you and I don't understand. And he's God. And it's my job to adjust to his plan, to adjust to his will, and not to try to get God to adjust to mine. That's what it means to trust. And a wise leader says, okay, I have plans. This is where I'd like to go. This is where I think we should go. Something happens. Okay, that must mean that that's not where God wants me to go. That must mean that I had a particular ministry that I was doing for some time, and God changed that. That's okay. That's not a failure. That's just God moving me. He changed my plans. Amen. I'm glad that the Lord still decided to use me, and I'm going to be obedient and continue to trust him. His promises are true. A wise leader has that idea. And a wise leader is able to help those underneath him to say, we have plans. 
They're scrapped. The Lord has something new. Let's continue to live for him and trust him. So a wise leader devises plans. What does he do? What does she do? A wise leader takes godly advice from God's word and from godly people. Avoids people who are slanderers and gossips and fools. A wise leader is one who respects parents, parent-like figures, elders, godly people in the past. You show respect to those who deserve respect. What does a godly leader do? A godly leader trusts the Lord. He waits on the Lord. She waits on the Lord. Doesn't seek uh, retribution. And And when God alters plans... You say, amen. Not my will, not what I want to have happen, but clearly God has something else. And we say amen and we continue to follow Jesus. We continue to allow the spirit to work on us to become more like Jesus. This is what a godly leader looks like. This is what a leader looks like in the household. This is what a mom looks like. This is what a dad looks like. When you're amongst your friends, this is what friends look like. Regardless of what your leadership is, this is what it looks like and this is what it should be. In planning. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Father, we're so very thankful that first and foremost, you are our leader. And that a lot of this stuff that we don't have to think about because you told us. And so we're so very thankful that you are our leader and you are the best and most perfect leader. We ask that we would continue to trust you, that we would continue to make the right kind of decisions, and as we advise others, and as you use us as instruments to to encourage our brothers and sisters, that we would act in a way that's appropriate, we would act in a way that is honoring to you, that we would act in a way that's uplifting and, and, and causing people to follow you and follow your word. We're so very thankful for everything that you've blessed us with. We're so very thankful for Jesus. We're so very thankful for our brothers and sisters who are here. We're also very thankful for the time that we've had with our brothers and sisters who are not here, but they are in the presence, they're in your presence. And Father, we're thankful that those promises that you made to us, that you made to them are true, not because of our performance, but because of your character. We're so very thankful, and we say this in your son's name, amen.